Good morning and happy Friday to everyone. Welcome to Lessons Learned in Manufacturing with COVID-19. We will share best practices to ensure that our community learns from each other during this mission critical time. Topics include, but are not limited to, business continuity planning, government, finance, human resources, supply chain, customers, information technology, finance and tax, security, and more. Goodwill Southern California is providing a forum for sharing lessons learned in this challenging economic climate. We are not endorsing a prescriptive solution to workforce issues, but rather rallying a community to support one another through gained insights and a general sharing of resources to benefit companies contending with the COVID-19 crisis. The webinar will be recorded and the materials used today will be distributed via Dropbox and on our LinkedIn page. Please connect with Tracy DeFilippis to be included into the LinkedIn group. All microphones will be muted. If you wish to share, please unmute yourself. Also, please use the chat box and enter your name and organization. The Manufacturing Skills Group exists to create a platform for continued quality collaboration for the purposes of improving access to resources and assets that add value to our work of aligning regional training and learning for manufacturers, current talent, and emerging workers in this space. Now, I would like to introduce Dennis Grogan, our Goodwill Skills Ambassador. Thank you, Tracy. Good morning, everybody. Um, and just to kind of reiterate, please do use the chat box. I want to make sure that anybody in here has, yeah, thank you, Brian. Throw up your contact information. Let us know you're here. If you've got any particular questions, of course, ask them. As always, interrupt um, in the chat box or raising your hand, and we'll try to keep this an engaged conversation. And I'm looking forward to today because we've got a special guest here, David Fisher from SNH Machine. David, good morning. Thank you for joining us today. Morning, everybody. You know, uh, you when I first met this group, you you know were really you're a heavy networker. I see yep. a lot of, yeah, I see a lot of business owners who do not wave their flag and get involved in what other industry and government and education are doing. And so I just want to thank you for your active participation in, in all of those things. Absolutely. So uh, before we get going, would you mind sharing with us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and what the folks at SNH are, are up to. Yeah, sure. Um, David Fisher, so I'm the president and owner of SNH Machine. We are a aerospace uh, manufacturing company with locations in Burbank, California and South El Monte, where I'm at today. Uh, we've been in business since 1960 and uh, we have uh, 90 employees working for us. Uh, we make a variety of products, but a lot of uh, housings and manifolds and cylinders uh, that go on to actuation systems and brakes and fuel pumps for, for aircraft. So critical flight uh, type of items with some, uh, I would call them minor assemblies, uh, leaf plugs and helicoils and things like that. Um, we were set to have a record year uh, to do about 20 million in sales 
Um, of course, that's all changed. About 60% uh, of our business comes from commercial aerospace. So um, that's going to be really badly impacted by because nobody's flying right now. Right. Um, the, the bulk of the rest of the business is from the military side, which is going to be our, you know, what's going to save us and help us a lot. Um, and so we have good connections in, into the, on the military and defense side. And uh, so that's, that's a good thing. We've actually, we've actually had a good first four months of the year. I mean, we're actually above sales from last year. Um, so I, I don't have any complaints yet, but we can definitely see the what's coming, which is a major change to what we'll be shipping each month. And I, I hope you don't mind me saying uh, I've been over to your your Burbank facility. Of course, it's world class. It's um, an aerospace company to be proud of, and the example of a small manufacturer that during a time like this, if if you're not diversified, could really be taking a hit. Right? I mean, you your ability to service both both the military and the airline industry is a strategy probably took on quite some time ago. Yeah. Absolutely. To try to diversify across customers and also aircraft platforms so that if anything like, you know, C-17 stopped, it was a minor impact to us and we knew what it was. We, we do, we work very hard to know where all of our parts go to onto what platforms, so that we know, um, you know, something's ramping down like the A380, for example, we know what its impact is going to be on the business and we go and replace that business. So for those of you that don't know, a company like David's, uh, the paperwork usually weighs more than the parts. <laughs> yes. Is that fair true. to say? Yeah, very true. Okay. And the quality management system is something that um, is, is essentially a rule book, right, for how you operate and manufacture in, in some ways, right? Yeah. I mean, it, the, the business in the 25 years that I've been there, it's evolved from uh, used to be this made good. If you made good parts and the paperwork was pretty good, you were okay. And now it's a, it's a basically a three-legged stool of part quality. Uh, the paperwork that goes along with it being the AS9102s or the PPAPs. And the, other, the third one is the, the, the visual, the cosmetic uh, appearance of the part uh, is, has become much more critical than ever before. They, I have some customers that really want what I would call jewelry standards where, um, Regardless if it makes a difference in form, fit, or function, the what the appearance of the part uh, is is really critical to them today. So, yeah, it's stringent expectations and, and specifications. Uh, harder than ever that to uh, to be able to ship parts and not have them come back from your customer. So then, it's fair to say you're no stranger to high pressure performance environments. Yeah, operational excellence required. Uh, perfection is the mandate from the customer. And, you know, we don't live in a perfect world, but that's what they expect. They want every part to be shipped on time and they want, they want uh, to see no quality defects. And when there is one, even if it's in one piece out of a thousand, they, they really quiz us today as to why that, how that was possible for that, that part to escape our quality system and get to them. How do you feel your pursuit of excellence has served you during COVID-19? Well, I think, you know, I think it's been really I'm pretty happy with the way we've handled the whole process. Uh, you know, prior to, to this occurring, I worked very hard to develop my team um, of people, of leaders, uh, investing in their education uh, for communication and for leadership. And um, 
although I have stepped back in in a pretty assertive way in the past few months, um, they've done it. They've done a really good job because one of the main things just managing um, fear managing change the change cycle i think you might have mentioned it last time dennis uh you know people are in that right now of the you know stage one stage two two of this of the change cycle and uh so i think having our processes in place having a trained leadership team uh, being a good uh, you know organization that communicates well has really served us well we i hear from other peers and in other meetings that i sit in there's a there's a good percentage of businesses that don't have good attendance from their employees right now. They're down maybe 20%. We've seen no attendance issues. I mean, we have, we have a few people out each day for, for being ill, but that's normal. Um, it's not, uh, this is not unusual at all for us. So our employees are really enjoying come to work and uh, coming to work and appreciative of the, of the jobs that they have. And attendance has not been an issue, which is, and our customers like hearing that and they like our, they like our COVID plans and what we've done. And therefore, more business is coming our way right now, which is great. It's great timing because we're going to need it in the months ahead. I want to ask you a little bit about that later, but I would like to see if you could share your perspective. Right before the call, we were talking about, you know, the house cats like us who haven't left the house. And those of you who are in an essential industry and, and how you know, for the past 40 to 60 days, you, you've been just going to work every day. Can you share with us a little bit about your perspective um, on the lines of what we were talking about before the call, please? Yeah, sure. So in, you know, other groups that I'm, I'm a member of, volunteer groups and things, but it was interesting last night, I was on a call for a couple hours and some of the people in my group hadn't been out of the house much in the last 40 days. And it, you know, I, I couldn't really relate to it because I've been out of the house every single day. And uh, I was telling Dennis that, you know, we've done such a good job at keeping the place clean and uh, wearing face masks and having our task force for COVID for the last two months um, and, you know, really disinfecting the place and keeping people at their distances and moved all the lunch benches outside. I mean, we have a whole plan of what we executed here, but I, I don't feel... I don't feel unsafe coming to work and I don't think our employees do either. I think there might've been a, some initial jitters about it, but uh, I actually feel far more unsafe going to a grocery store or going and picking up some food uh, than I do coming to work. At least at work, I know like the desk I'm sitting at, no one else has been here, but me. So, right. And uh, so it's been, I think our, our employees are very happy to be considered essential and we've really marketed the heck out of that word. In fact, we got some t-shirts being made right now that has our logo on it and huge essential on it to make the point that um, they are essential. Probably should have been focusing on that more before uh, COVID, but they really are. And they've done, they've been very supportive of us and we're trying to support them as best we can. You know, it's a battle to manage the requirements of the customer and tend to the, let's call them the essential needs of our employees. Yeah. And if this crisis is driving you more towards embracing them and their, and their needs, um, I think that that's, you know, right in line with everything that we've been trying to, to talk about on, on a lot of our calls and training. So congratulations for that part. 
I want to open it up to some questions before I have another series of questions for David about uh, the article that he wrote. But before we move on to that, uh, does anybody have any questions for him? Because I heard some very unique things here, you know, task force for COVID, uh, the PPE actions that you're taking seem visible to your employees. And I got to believe that helps drive the fear down and the attendance up. So there could be a relation. I'm not saying there is, but there could be a relation to the way you respond to this in the environment you provide and attendance in people feeling secure or safe or specifically not afraid. Absolutely. And it's been an, it's been a really interesting uh, thing to try to manage because Normally, when there's any kind of chaos in the organization or lack of clarity, the first thing I would do would be to call an all-hands meeting, and I would stand up in front of the, the entire company and talk to them. Or we would have what would be called a small group meeting, where we'd be bring groups of employees in into a, a conference room and have more of an intimate setting to answer their questions, or town hall meetings. But with this crisis, I can't do what I'm really good at, which is talk. Uh, stand in front of people and talk to them and assure them that things are going to be okay. So the way I'm communicating is through Slack. Um, and so it's a whole different, different way of doing this. So I'm having to really work on uh, writing skills and messages. And, you know, we try to reach out to them every single day via Slack and give them some news. All employees are set up to now receive, they opted into a program to receive emails at home and also text alerts at home each night reminding them to, you know, that what they do at home matters too. Uh, but that's been the biggest thing for me is to try to uh, try to get information to our employees without being able to do the all hands. Big challenge. Plus, one that's uh, been incredible and, and a great learning experience for me is trying to coach and lead people that are in distress while my leaders and even myself at times are in distress. So we're not always at our best. There's been moments in the last 60 days that I was definitely in distress. And so trying to lead people through that while you're not at your best is a real challenge. But you definitely see in these times who um, some people stand out and shine. Uh, your true leaders and your you know, people that can handle crisis really show and the people that were working for you that might have been in uh, somewhat distress in their personal lives before this, you can definitely see them acting out more than ever. So those right. are, there's new challenges to manage. A absolutely. All of those things are, are sticky wickets, <laughs> right? And uh, being a transparent leader means that you can fail and then say, hey, guys, I'm sorry. I had a, I had a bad day. And, and move on because then others feel like they can also be forgiven if they, if they have a bad day. Some people are, like you said, if they were in distress before this, it's going to be some magnitude greater that, than, than that now. Right. So, you know, every single person has a different challenge that they're facing. And so a lot of the tools that we are talking about are things that leaders can use to try to help people get through that, those stages of change, if you will. Uh, Roz has a question for David. How are you guys handling virtual tours or government inspections? 
So uh, we have not allowed uh, anyone uh, that's not an employee to enter the facility um, since this crisis occurred. Um, right now, what we're doing is we're doing, luckily before all this happened, we, we, do, we have virtual tour videos. So I have um, a gentleman that comes in from time to time as the facility changes, and he literally walks through with a steady cam that's mounted to his body and he videos the entire place in operation. So what we do is we set that um, virtual tour up on a, on a link on the, on the website and invite uh, customers to come in and see our location. Um, so that plus, uh, of course, here's, you know, we are on Zoom today. It's not a tool that I used before this crisis and now I use it probably five or six times a day, uh, which is pretty funny. Uh, you know, I think Zoom is, I think the crisis is going to change our lives because I think what we're going to find is we don't always need to get on an airplane to go see somebody. We can probably just talk to them right over Zoom and meet them and see them, share our screen, do a PowerPoint. Um, so yeah, haven't haven't had anybody in the facility. The only people that come to SNH are vendors delivering parts, and we don't even let them in the facility. They're they're greeted by cones in the in the parking lot with signs that say. Um, you know, don't come in, uh, ring the bell, and we'll come to you. So big change. I don't know what's going to happen when we have like our AS9100 audit. It's at the end of the year. If it's still going on, that'll be pretty interesting. Several of our clients have had um, audits turned to NAS9100 and ISO audits to virtual audits. Right. Um, and the other part of that was government source inspectors. Do you, do you have any GSIs coming in or? No, it's, it's pretty rare. We don't usually have government source inspectors and we might have some customer source inspectors. Uh, and right now they've just been doing everything digitally. They've been doing, uh, you know, we send them pictures and documents and we just do it over the phone. Okay, cool. I've got a couple more questions for you here, David. It's, it's like you're on a game show. Great. <laughs> Brian, do you want, would you like to ask a question of David? Sure, uh, David, this is Brian Buss. So I've heard a lot of companies that have pivoted to either making PPE or uh, components thereof, you know, completely out of their normal wheelhouse. I don't, I'm curious if SNH has, but more interested in, you know, I'm sure you've considered that or have people ask you, what, what would be your thoughts? What would your considerations be if you were approached to create a brand new product only in response to the pandemic, uh, you know, what would your, uh, how would you, how would you consider that as a business owner? Well, yeah, ab absolutely. We, uh, you know, it's probably one of the errors I made going into this is, is, uh, you know, the book Mo who moved my cheese comes to mind, you know, is that, uh, we thought the backlogs were so huge that, uh, nothing was going to touch it. Right. And I, I can't, I couldn't imagine uh, the world not flying. Um, even after nine 11, you know, we were back in the air pretty quickly. Uh, maybe, maybe everybody was impacted, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like this. So um, we're fortunate that we have the military side. We do have some other commercial things. And then um, we always, we're always tinkering with, with new products and, new designs of things that we can bring to market. Um, and then we do have our feelers out for some, um, 
some medical things as well right now that we're trying to get into, but you know, that, that can take time. Um, you know, the, the opportunities will come for businesses that are uh, in the right spot and ready for them. Uh, we know that um, unfortunately, many businesses are not going to survive this. Uh, I was just on a, on a conference call yesterday of a local shop that's about, about the size of SNH. It's about ready to go bankrupt. And uh, the investors were asking if we wanted to, an opportunity to look at buying them. So those, those are definitely going to come. And it's also coming through my customers as well. They can see who their suppliers are that are, are not going to weather this storm very well. And of course, they're still going to have a need for the parts. So we will, um, we will capitalize on those things when they come. But yeah, if, of course, if anybody has any connections for business, we're very eager right now. That's great. I mean, people are more open to doing new things in a crisis than ever, right? Especially if, you, if one of your segments is, is down. Um, and it, it drives purpose in that way. We've got a couple other questions. I'm going to go down the line here. Tracy D, would you like to ask your question of David? Yeah, David, I was wondering about that 20% uh, decline rate in attendance that you learned about from other manufacturers. And what's driving that? Are people just sort of opting out of coming in because they don't feel safe and it's a personal thing? Um, that's part one of the question. And the other part is, do, do companies or small companies giving their employees that option, whether to come in or not come in? Uh, relative to their own confidence safety level? How does that work in? Right. So um, we're seeing this a lot in our suppliers. You know, we send product to about 100 different suppliers outside of SNH. And uh, my, my belief is that a lot of the owners of those businesses did not prepare their workforce well. They didn't get it in front of this. Um, so what we're hearing is that there, there's fear. Uh, the employees yeah. are worried about their health and uh, therefore they're not, they're choosing not to come in. They're self quarantining or staying away from work. Um, I, I think there's also some, uh, I know businesses that are already impacted by employees that, that, you know, were sick and, and tested positive. And then of course, everybody that worked around them got, you know, fearful and, and self quarantined. So there's, there's that. Um, I think if people don't know, uh, then they make up their own, their own mind about what is. And, and uh, one of the things that was interesting that I read was that employees trust the information given by their employer more so than they do the news or their government. So, um, but I, I also found, yeah, er, early on, we were, we were really, um, one of the things that we had to manage besides our own employees is we had to manage, help manage our, our suppliers because they were not prepared. Uh, they, they couldn't, they didn't even really understand the answer of what's essential and what's not and where to go to get that information. Uh, they're not, you know, as Dennis brought up that I try to stay very well, very connected. And yes, that's partly me giving information to other people, but of course I'm learning a ton too. So I've always been, you know, trying to be active in groups and, and help people because hopefully they're going to, they're going to share something with me that I didn't know, but I don't know a lot of small businesses that do that. They're just kind of in their own four walls. Uh, and they only know that. And so we really had to help a lot of them, uh, you know, with information on how to manage this. We gave them forms, gave them procedures, policies, told them what we were doing, did, did uh, Zoom meetings, 
to train our own suppliers. You know, that supplier development is key to integrating them into a more seamless supply chain. And it's also just good assistance help. It's good, just good assistance. When this first hit, there were so many people that didn't know what to do that any kind of guidance was really uh, welcomed. And so where you may have resistance in the past with suppliers being open to developing new procedures with you, I think it's, you know, common today that everybody wants to, wants to embrace change. And, and so congratulations for being that, being that leader. Mm -hmm. Roberto, good morning, sir. You have a question for David. Morning, David. How are you doing? Good morning. Uh, welcome to the forum. It's great that uh, we have an employer leading the charge here. Yeah. Uh, I spoke to one of my former graduates yesterday, and he, I'll tell you where he works. He works at uh, New Hampshire Ball Bearing. Mm -hmm. And I asked him about, is he, does he feel safe? And he said, absolutely. And uh, he mentioned that uh, the shifts, as they rotate, there's separation. There's five to ten minutes of separation, so they're not in contact with each other. Uh, they take their temperature every day, and uh, they're all on face masks. Uh, that's a large, multi-international company. Are, are you doing the same by any chance? Thanks. Yeah, so, so we required uh, face masks before everybody else kind of got into it. And uh, we decided to make it a requirement regardless of, you know, because at the time there was still some people that were skeptical if they needed to do that or not. But we just said, if we, you want to come to work, you're going to have to wear a face mask. And we had them on order, but they weren't coming in quick enough. So we actually required the employees to, to make their own. I, I sent them an email and a text at home and said, grab a shirt, figure it out <laughs> and report to work with your face covered tomorrow. And they did. We got no resistance, and uh, then our face masks came in. As far as temperature, um, we have we have had several thermometers come in uh, that are not good, and we've sent them back. So we've got another one, uh, come another couple of them coming in, and we're hoping they're going to be of better quality. Um, we are our plan is to make it optional. It's something they'll opt into. Um, it's a decision we made. Um, my my guess is that probably 95% of the employees will, will do it. Um, but we didn't want to force anybody to do a health check like that unless they were had any resistance to it. Thank you so much for that. You know, these new procedures are ones that can be prepared for um, adherence in any office, not just in the bathroom, right? Eric, we're getting quite a bit of feedback from you, bud. Ironically, Eric, it's your turn. Would you have a? Would you like to ask your question of David? Yeah, let me get rid of this feedback here. All right. Yeah. No, I started getting feedback, so I dialed into my phone. And then I'm like, then I got the reverberating effects. <laughs> no worries, buddy. Um, Your question of David. Yeah. So, hi, David. Nice to meet you. Hi. So, I, it's nice to hear everything that you're doing for your company, for your employees, and everything that you're doing to keep your business up and running. And it sounds like you're pretty much keeping the same level of excellence that you are trying to keep the same level of excellence that you had prior to COVID-19. Are you seeing other companies that you interact with and deal with in your value chain doing the same? And if not, how are their, short, their shortfalls impacting your business? 
Yeah, we are definitely seeing an impact. Uh, we have our, our supplier's performance is not what it was before the crisis. Um, and it is, it is primarily because they are not staffed. Um, and going back to the, the word tribal knowledge that was being discussed before this started, um, in many of our suppliers, they have a few key people that, that have the knowledge of how something is to be processed. And may, they may not have documented their processes well enough. And so if they have a, you know, some key, key people that are not there, it can really impact um, quality and on-time delivery. So yes, we're seeing it. Um, they're coming along with uh, our guidance and the guidance of other customers that are, that are helping them. But, uh, you know, one of the small businesses I sent a lot of parts to is a good friend of mine that I helped start his business many years ago, does honing and lapping. And uh, it's, there's five people there and the owner is on the machine all day long. So he doesn't have the luxury to be able to sit behind a computer or participate in a Zoom meeting and, and learn. And so, um, you know, additionally, he also didn't apply for the payroll protection loan too, which, you know, I, I, I think he's going to regret that. Um, but it's, they just don't have the time and the knowledge and also the, the backing of advisors that, that I might have, you know, through my attorneys and CPAs and different uh, advocates that, and coaches that help us at the business. So um, they're going to, they're going to feel it a little bit more um, than we are maybe because we, we really, uh, we had knowledge, we had information and we used it and we, we tried very hard to get out in front of it. I will tell you, it's a funny thing. And I just pointed it out to one of my friends. One of my friends uh, owns a shop similar to mine. And I got some criticism and some laughter from them early on when we put in our COVID task force. They're like, oh, you're blowing this out of proportion. What are you doing? You know, you guys are just wasting time. And, uh, you know, I pointed that out to them recently, laughing back at them because we can joke around that way that, hey, you know, who was leading the who was leading this thing and who was ahead of it and uh we're lucky we did i mean not just for health but also just for the financial uh strength of the business um we started cutting back way before our customers uh even recognized that this was going to hurt them pretty badly we started cutting back costs and overtime and and really uh dialing down what we were spending money on and that's really going to help us uh, right now because uh, we, we've actually right-sided the business and we're profitable uh, even with, with what we see ahead of us. Thank you, David. I appreciate you. And uh, Eric as well. That was a great question. Roz, Thanks. you Roz, just got one quick follow-up. It's uh, okay. your friend. There's so many resources on this call between CMTC and SoCal Goodwill. You should put your friend who's got the five-person shop in touch with some of these resources. I think they're all, a lot of them are on this phone call and probably willing and able to help. Hey, that's, that's a, I took a note on that. That's a great suggestion. I will do that. That would be great for them. Thank you. Back to you, Dennis. No, buddy. You, you hit the nail on the head for the purpose of this network. And I saw my friend D. Sonny lean in on that. You want to throw your contact in the info in there, D. Sonny? Yes, I will. And uh, Grogan, I've got some updates too. I'd like to share when the when when it comes around to my turn. Okay, I'm going to hit up Roz, and then you're next. All right, thank you, sir. All right, buddy. Hi, um, I'm Roz Lowe. I'm with LA Gage. Um, 
and I love your company, David. You guys are always behind the community and, and patriotic about the industry. So I have a lot of respect for what you guys do there. Um, I was on one of these webcast things the other day, and I was a bunch of uh, companies out of Washington, Oregon, and um, you know different parts of the United States and those territories, and they were all talking about the difficulty that they're having in getting material. Um, and some of you may know me from when I worked at Castle Metals. Mm -hmm. So I was really, and right now I work at LA Gage where all we focus on are, you know, very ultra precision beryllium components. So I'm not experiencing any, you know, 316, you know, stainless, or I'm not hunting for 17.4. I'm wondering, um, are you or any of your affiliates also feeling that kind of an impact where um, material is becoming more scarce to secure? Uh, no, nothing on material yet. Um, so really three, three things we buy, uh, raw material, outside processing, there's definitely an impact there that I talked about just because of shortages in staff. The third thing would be uh, the tooling that we use to make our parts. And in talking to uh, Western Tool Supply yesterday, which is a big distributor in our area in San Fernando Valley, they're pretty concerned about it because what's happened is that shops like mine, we, uh, we're trying hard not to spend money. So it used to be before the crisis, if an employee needed any tool, we just bought it. They put a requisition in and, and we, we purchased it for them. And now it's go find and see if you have one you can resharpen and, and use a tool you already have and don't spend the money. So what Western was saying is that um, they're, they're, most shops are doing that. Therefore, they're not buying what they typically buy. Therefore, the factories that build the tools are not building the tools. And they believe that when we come out of this, people are going to need tools. And they're not going to be there. So but to wow. answer your question, I haven't seen much of an impact yet other than suppliers because suppliers usually some sort of process and it requires people to do it. I'm really concerned about the material industry moving forward. I think it's something to, you know, kind of keep your eye on if you have, you know, long-term agreements, just throwing it out there. Yeah, no, it's a good, it's a good concern. My, my concern has been the other way, uh, which has been the first thing I did when I saw this, the push outs coming from the customers is I looked at all my blanket purchase orders for forgings, castings, and plate and bar stock. And I asked our purchasing department to immediately see if we could cancel orders or push the, push the delivery dates out. Cause the, the worst thing I could do right now would be to take in more material that my customer then won't buy. Yeah. So, and some cut, some suppliers were, were, were good to us and some of them said, Nope, you're going to take it or you're going to pay. And so it, it taught me something that my, uh, my purchase orders with my vendors need to be stronger in the future uh, so that I do have ability to opt out or push out, just like my customers have with us. Um, I didn't, uh, again, I didn't anticipate that. So it's definitely something that's going to hurt me a little bit because uh, I'm going to take some delivery of stuff I don't need. Yeah. I heard that from B and B uh, they, they kind of felt that a little while back, but then just point want to throw it out there. I've heard Browco's pretty, uh, pretty, pretty nice about it. They've been working yeah. with uh, some, some folks that I know of, yeah. uh, so anyways, it is, it's good to know who, who we need to stay loyal to, you Absolutely. know, down the road, you know, you I mean? know this is an important point. Um, so being loyal to your suppliers pays off in a time like this. 
So if you beat your suppliers up, which a lot of people do, and they don't treat their suppliers and you don't treat your suppliers well, uh, you're going to fall down the list of preference. When the material does get short, uh, you, you might get shorted yourself. <laughs> so thank you so much for that question, Roz. I, I appreciate it. And, and David, for your, for your feedback. D. Sunny, what do you have, buddy? Hey guys, uh, it, uh, good to be on call with you. Sorry, I came in late. I'm, I'm running multiple peer-to-peer -peer groups uh, with manufacturers and I've been posting a lot and doing a lot and, and communicating a lot with uh, the manufacturing community. Uh, I work with the MEP, the Manufacturers Extension Partnership, and support the Inland Empire region. I've done that for 14 years. So uh, a couple things I wanna share. Uh, the supplier conversations, uh, I, I, I'm on a, I've been working with a group on a supplier uh, redevelopment package that we're going to be rolling out here soon. But uh, some of the things that uh, are standing out to me on that supplier package was categorizing your suppliers by three levels of criticality to your business and focus on that tier one supplier and the risks to those uh, on uh, those tier ones. And out of the tier ones, how many of those are overseas? Because uh, those are gonna bring up uh, uh, another slew of questions that we need to dive into. But what, those tier one customers, there's three questions that they're, they're saying that we should be talking to those three customers on. And that is if they have a business continuity and disaster recovery plan in place now, because that kind of tells you about what, what they're doing and how they're reacting. Uh, describe their working capital positions through the life of their contracts that you have with them. And, and the last one is who are their top customers right now that gives you some visibility uh, into their primary sources of revenue uh, to elevate to those businesses, how they could perhaps impact your supply chain. So now there was another uh, issue that, not an issue, but there's some points being made from uh, one of my groups that I'm a part of, and that is this. Uh, the, the, they've got a, a bunch of workers. Uh, some of those workers chose not to come to the, uh, the office because they didn't feel safe. They just, the, the COVID scared them. So they took their, their uh, uh, they took their COVID pay for the 80 hours, their PTO pay. And, and right now they're, because this is five weeks in, they're in their second week of deciding not to come to work. So that means that they're not, they, they can't complain uh, unemployment uh, because there is a job waiting for them. So with, with those types of conversations of these employees that are choosing not to come to work because they don't feel safe, and there was some other issues going on with another manufacturing company that I work with on uh, employees getting with a bunch of attorneys right now to go after the company because the employers were not clocking in and out for lunch. They were just kind of handwriting that information on a time card instead of all these employees jump into a time card machine. So the, the, the conversation then spun up to, well, well, perhaps it would be a great uh, recommendation for our manufacturing leaders out there to take their phones and go out on the shop floor and do video clips of them walking through the shop floor and praising employees who are there right now, asking questions to those employees that are there right now on the shop floor. Hey, do you feel comfortable coming in? Do you feel that we are doing a good job of uh, keeping you guys safe, uh, et cetera? That way that kind of uh, documents the journey that the manufacturer's on right now. 
And it also could give you some ammunition and some backup in case some big lawsuit comes after this epidemic that says that, you, that the employer didn't do the right thing. So it's documented and it's on video. Um, there's also been some talk about, uh, you know, with the PPP loans and the idle loans that are out there right now, about uh, the, you know, people not getting uh, certain loans. There's the, the, um, the credit reports are now, you can get a free copy of your credit reports now weekly instead of annually. So by getting those reports and taking a look at what's, what's being dinged on your report, you can see if SBA, uh, who, I don't know if you guys heard, but they did get hacked. There was over 8,000 <laughs> cybersecurity issues with the SBA. Uh, but anyways, you can see if uh, your credit report's been, been tapped into. And my last thing that I want to share and almost ask is, and Grogan, you might know, I'm looking for the metal, palatable metal, metal clips that, that can be uh, in, uh, put into masks that you bend over your nose. Uh, I've got a large quantity of those that are in need right now. And I'm at, the manufacturers that I've reached out to are not responding that I know could have that, that has that capability. So I've got someone out in Chino for you, buddy. We'll talk about it. Thank you. That's like stamping. You need somebody that does stamping. Yes. Yeah, I've got a high volume stamper that, um, I'm sure would be glad to take on a bunch of work. All right, thank you. No, thank you, Sonny. I really appreciate you, pal. If you can't tell, Sonny is in a dogfight to try to help save these manufacturers and a tremendous resource for our region. So thank you for everything you're doing, Sonny. Amen, thank you, Sonny. Um, Aaron Dyer, you've had a couple comments. I'd love to give you a chance. And you struggle, I think, with similar things to David, no doubt. Um, hi, what, what's the question? You had posted a couple of little comments in the group chat. I just wanted to give you a chance to speak to them. Okay, um, regarding the metals, um, I think that the metals are in the supply chain right now, but I think that we're gonna find shortages soon. Yeah. So that is concerning and it's a great question that Roz brought up. I just think there's gonna be a delay in that shortage. So um, also what will affect is when there's more people, um, employees uh, getting sick, then, then that will affect um, turnaround times and it's just gonna really be a big problem. Um, but yeah, and then the price are gonna go up. So that's something to think about. So what we did immediately is check out our inventories of all of our metals and um, order ahead of time. And especially for any of our high um, tier one customers, we wanted to make sure that they didn't um, have any shortages for their product line. Thank you. No, thank you. I, I appreciate your contributions as always. You and David have done a really a lot for our network and understanding what industry wants and what industry needs. And so in, um, Mike, I, did you have a question? I see partnerships and collaboration. Uh, that was no question. It was just a comment about supply chain and uh, taking that supplier relationship to more of a partnership and collaborating with your supply chain rather than uh, I place a purchase order and you deliver me parts. Thank you so much.
So David, uh, any other questions for David? Please throw them up in the chat. I, I wanted to circle back and thank you again for all your contributions to not just today, not just our group, but to the environment around you and society as a whole. Um, thank you very much. The most world-class organizations serve a purpose in society to their people and to their industry and market in, in almost those orders. And you're certainly contributing to your society, to your individual, to your individual employees and to your customers and supply base. So congratulations for taking a 360 degree view. Thank you. And, uh, Happy to help if anybody wants to reach out to me anytime and ask a question or get my feedback on something. I, I, I definitely have opinions on things. Um, and as Tracy just put out, I'm going to be starting, I've already started my first article, but be posting weekly on uh, LinkedIn, some stories along with some of my friends who are in the industry. So we've got uh, a page up on LinkedIn called Manufacturing Friends. Um, so my, my friend Marzell from W Machine Works posted something on communicating and, and leading during this time. Uh, my, my posting next week will come out and it'll be about um, the importance of buying American product. And it'll be a little bit different spin than what you're used to, which is just the typical, we need to buy American products. So I'm, I'm hoping to get us thinking more deeply about the topic and, and why, why else it's important. And then the next article will be about how has the crisis changed us because I actually think there's, um, although we're going to go through some, we're already going through some headaches and some heartburn right now and struggle. Uh, I think coming out of that, uh, we're really going to be a changed uh, country, a changed industry. Um, and there is some good. There's going to be some good. I'm already seeing it uh, just in little things like the fact that my mom now uh, FaceTimes me every night and I get to <laughs> see my parents, you know, who are two hours away and, Usually awesome. I would see them. Yeah. I would usually see them maybe once a month and now I see them every night and they have their cocktails in their hand and I tell them how my day was. And That's uh, it's great. A nice change. It is. There, there's certainly opportunity to, to thrive here. We, before we close out, I see Mr. Goudreau has one comment, comment or question. That was a question. Hey David. Hi David. Um, great stuff as always. Um, you're, um, at the top of the list as far as uh, how you're dealing with this. It's exemplary. Um, but I was curious what your thought was. Um, if I'm not mistaken, you've had uh, probably one or two customers that have been pretty brutal as far as how they've uh, approached this in their supply chain <laughs> strategy. Um, and, that, and, and that's probably, you know, maybe the exception. But I am very concerned about you know, how um, we, we've spent so much time talking about our relationship with our employees, uh, calming them down, you know, having some uh, good processes in place. Well, that same thing applies to the supply chain and how the customer being our boss, you know, interacts with us. And I see that as a gigantic weakness right now. I, I think that, uh, and I'm just curious what your thought is, because it, like in looking at your, your article, when it comes to getting back into normalcy, I see the customers as being a huge barrier there. I think the ones that are good 
an exemplary. I think that there's going to be network, maybe even new networks of those um, knowledgeable companies and uh, customers as well as vendors collaborate on things and probably achieve some new uh, levels of efficiency that maybe weren't there. But on the other side, you have these other companies that they're just command and control. And I'm, not, I'm worried about how that's going to affect the ability to come out of this and get to back to normal. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good topic. Uh, one that I'm pretty passionate about. I I really haven't seen a, a good customer in this crisis, to be, to be honest with you. They've been, uh, and, I've, and I've told them, I've told their, their leadership when I get the opportunity to tell them that in an appropriate way, that uh, they've been slow to, uh, to, to change their ERP uh, polls, uh, which is causing suppliers like me to build product that they then at the last minute say they don't need, uh, which is devastating for a supplier. And they've really, they've taken actions that have protected their uh, financial interests at the expense of their supplier. So they're going to need us when it's all over. And so they're doing themselves a lot of harm right now. And they don't realize that these are multi-billion dollar corporations that could easily handle a little bit of extra inventory to allow suppliers like me to ship. But instead, they've strapped me with um, millions of dollars worth of whip inventory that I cannot ship now. So... Um, I'm able to handle it uh, financially, but I know a lot of people are not going to be able to. So um, I, I would just, you know, and what comes to mind is shame on them, you know, and it's going to hurt them. Um, and it's unfortunate, but, you know, I was on a call with the tier one uh, supply chain vice president the other day, and she asked me, what could we do for you? And I said, well, you want to do something for me? Get your, get your ERP in order uh, so that, we're actually building what you're going to take because uh, you'll kill your suppliers if you don't, if you don't fix this now, but they're just so, they're so slow and bureaucratic. They can't, they can't uh, enter, even enter their, their own customers changes in their, into their systems fast enough. And of course their people are working from home. They're probably short staffed. So there is some reasons for it too, but my call to them would be all hands on deck, support your suppliers, um, communicate more, Pretty much their communication has mostly been about uh, how they're going to protect their own interests and not allow suppliers to ship. And that's instead of positive messages and, and uh, information about where we're going and what the future looks like or holding Zoom meetings, nothing. There's nothing. I mean, we're, we're managing our suppliers far better than, than our, our tier one. So I, I, would, I would like to encourage them to step up. You know, it might just as a... Uh, you know, sometimes there's a reason for our um, our associations because uh, sometimes we can take the we can make a point and not have it take the heat that you know that a company you know you, it's not good when you publish something <laughs> that may be critical of your customers. Right. Um, but I, I remember, and this is. 20 years ago, a friend of mine who was on our SMI board at the time, John Seibert, he wanted to um, have a, write an article about fourth wave economic development. And I thought to myself, well, that's a great term on fourth wave uh, supply chain management. In other words, there needs to be this evolution. And maybe with this virus, it's an interesting time to make the point that customers don't know how to be, have servant 
uh, leadership. And I think that that's a huge component of them getting to this next, especially when we're talking about reshoring, you know, and getting to this level of efficiency. If they don't know how to literally help their supply chain, help them, you're, you're, it's a glass ceiling. And this would maybe be an interesting time to maybe work on get a team of you know four or five people and pin something together um, on, on that kind of strategy and put it out. I don't care if it's us, but you know, or maybe under a collaboration of, of associations or something to make the point uh, because they're really missing the boat. And what you see, I think, and I'd be interested in this point of, from you. I don't think they have the culture. In other words, their strategy is such that their culture is out of sync with how to deal with something like this. <laughs> it, it's like they, they're, they're like a deer in the headlight uh, at this particular moment. Well, I mean, none of us were prepared. I mean, we had some preparation for something, but we always thought it was going to be an earthquake or a flood, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so... <sighs> None of us were prepared, but definitely a smaller business is much more agile and able to uh, implement quicker. And uh, yeah, I mean, one of the one of the recommendations I gave to one of my my customers recently is they should they should have reinstate what they used to have was called a supply chain council, you know, where they had a group of key suppliers that that they had meetings with. In this case, it'd be over Zoom or something, where they could be asking us for information and how is it going in the supply chain. And, and again unless I'm not getting the invite, uh, I don't think they're having it. And, uh, you know, I, I think they're, I think they're scrambling right now. They don't know what to do and they're not asking the questions. You know, they, we, we've got to be asking everybody more questions. Like someone mentioned earlier, and I took a note on that too, pull your employees, you know, and, and our customers could pull their, pull their suppliers and ask them how they're doing. What do they need? Do they need any assistant? How's it going? Basically the questions we're getting is, are you open? And what is your capacity? And have you been impacted by this? Those are good questions to ask, but our questions of our suppliers go far deeper than that. You know, it's, uh, are you prepared in case you have someone test positive? What is your plan? You, you know, know it's, so, it's always discouraging to hear about um, blind justice at the tier ones. Mm-hmm. I've been, you know, David, you know, at the aerospace and defense game quite a long time. Yeah. And getting them on the same page, you've got the same chance as standardizing a pickup truck in Texas. It's, um, it's not going to happen. But I do appreciate this question, uh, Mr. Goudreau. Thank you so much for that. And, and David, thank you again for all of your time. In closing, I'd like to pass the baton to Tracy D. And see if you had any closing comments for us. Yeah, you know, uh, I think when you first joined us last week, uh, David, I think you might have mentioned a quote about, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was, if you're going through hell, keep going. Right. <laughs> right? Churchill. And uh, so that is Churchill. Okay, so I just quickly Googled, you know, best quotes for this COVID time, and his really came to the top, and it was, danger gathers upon our path, we cannot afford, we have no right to look back. We must look forward, Winston Churchill. Mm. So I think that was the euphemism uh, 
version of if you're going through hell, keep going. But this has been a, an incredible time today, just so rich and lively and content rich and, and useful and purposeful. So I really thank you, David, for you know, being willing uh, to join us and to step out. And you are, you are a community leader. You are an industry leader. We honor you and respect you in, in every way. Um, you triggered us in the article that you posted and that really drew my attention and we invited you in to talk a bit more. We didn't really actually get into your article, uh, which I'm, I'm sad to say, um, and maybe we'll do that another time, but uh, I did post a link to the article in the chat box. Um, and David Fisher, if you could, um, if there's a way to share that manufacturing friends page with us. We'd love yeah. to be able to do articles. I'll try to figure um, out how to do that. Colleagues. Okay. Is it on LinkedIn? Um, in, on an email or? It's on LinkedIn, it? yeah. Oh, okay. Awesome. So, and Roz, thanks for joining us. Aaron and, and, and Eric and uh, Brian and the group. Dennis Sunny, great to see you here today too. Thanks again, everyone. We'll close for now and let you all go in peace to have a, a good weekend to refresh your minds and hearts and be with your families. Uh, be well, take care and be safe. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks everybody.